Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park think we're live all right christian again thank you for being here taking the time to sit down with me and also thank you for sending me your book i finished it up got it done last week um it was good i enjoyed it uh i liked your perspective on things and i wrote down some things that i kind of wanted to hit on and maybe we can touch on but um i guess you know should we start maybe you giving a little bit of a background about yourself and maybe why you what was your motivation behind the book so everyone will kind of know where we're going at here yeah, by the way, thanks for having me on the show. Sir. Um, and I'm glad you actually read the book. Ah. Um, I like that. Um, well, what inspired this book? Um, I guess a couple of things. One of them was I'm part of a large family. I'm one of nine kids, and I have an older sister. I'm the second oldest. And, you know, when we were kids, she was a natural born leader. Um, she would boss not only the nine of us, but the entire neighborhood of 15, 20 kids. And not in a bossy, nasty way. She would just say, hey, let's go do that. And we would all say, sure, let's all go do that. And then Chris, when she hit puberty, she just turned that thing off. And I don't know if it was something, something that somebody said to her about girls or women not behaving that way, or whether she just picked it up you know, through osmosis. Um, but it got me thinking over the years about power and you know our relationship to power and, and what I've come to to realize is that most of us have an ambivalent relationship to it part of us wants it part of us is afraid of it and I think what we fear is that if we really stepped into our power that other people couldn't handle it and that they were judges and that we might end up rejected and alone um, I think we also fear that we might abuse it sure. and wonder all we got to do is turn on the news any day or, or glance through the headlines online to witness at least one abuse of power. And then on top of that, we've been conditioned to believe that power is a bad thing. So quotes like power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And who wants to be corrupted? And then when you add to the mix, the fact that we've been conditioned to believe that the emotions are weakness, especially as men, and, and that we, you know, we avoid conflict and confrontation, most of us, what happens is that we end up giving away our power, our innate, inherent power that nobody can give to us, nobody can take away. Um, we are the only ones who give it away. And, and to me, the sad part is the reasons for which we give it away. Like we say yes, when inside we feel no for like an illusion of security, we override our true feelings, our beliefs, 
um, our convictions, our desires, for our dreams even, for, uh, for the sake of acceptance, or we settle for crumbs of pseudo-love. So what this book is about is like, all right, how do we step into power in a different way? In a different way, that's not about hierarchy, control, fear, force, domination. That doesn't require that we push anybody down, manipulate them in order to, for us to feel powerful. And just so, you know, I, I, when I was reading the book, you know, I know you spoke a lot about ego and power and stuff, but just so the audience is clear, you know, when you're talking about power, are you talking about, you know, authority, competence, knowledge, uh, wisdom, you know, infinite resources, I guess, people get in certain powerful positions, or are you just talking more about personality traits, you know, like leadership and, or does that kind of make sense what I'm trying to say, just so we kind of got Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's a great question because that, that begins to let us know that there are different kinds of power. Sure. And so, for example, I talk about worldly power or ego power, which we tend to associate. Most of us think of powerful people, like you're referring to people who have money, who are famous, who've got some kind of status, who are high up in some kind of hierarchy, whether it's the corporate ladder or some kind of other institution. But the thing about all those kinds of powers that because they're external, they're outside of us, they can be fickle. Here today, gone tomorrow that kind of power too, worthy power ego power is it's always it always has an agenda it's always trying to get something for itself and it's always trying to prove that it's bigger than it is in contrast with what i call spiritual power or soulful power which is inside each and every one of us and like i said before nobody can give it to us and nobody can take it away and it's humble it doesn't need to prove anything to anybody so, um, and, and it's about service, about making a difference. So I think of a, of a Gandhi or Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings in their, in their simple monastic robes, their sandal feet. You'd never know how much power they hold until it's necessary. Then get out of the way. Um, Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees when it was at its highest point in terms of global influence and reach and power without ever shooting a gun or landing a single punch. Talk about power. Sure. Yeah. You know, Mike Tyson was actually talking about, you know, power and ego and talking about how, you know, when he would knock somebody out, you know, obviously he was recognized as one of the most powerful boxers ever, you know, arguably, but, you know, his ego was kind of that, you know, he would go over to him and say, you know, good match, you know, whatever, dap him up, high five him, whatever, and say great fight and all that. But, you know, most people would just tend to be, you know, not arrogant, but I mean, overly cocky and, and, you know, basically talk trash to him after they knock somebody out. But he was basically, his point was that, you know, his ego, like, you know, some people say you can't be successful without an ego, which he was saying that, no, my ego was part of my humility and being humble with the other fighters and just saying that, yeah, great match and all that. I mean, do you think that, I guess, ego and his power is kind of born as a trait in you? Or is it, it might be kind of both. I might be answering my question, but in your thoughts that over time, do we develop this, ego based on social media, people in our lives, you know, life experiences and all that good stuff. Well, you know, as you know, it's a, it's a huge conversation about the ego. Uh, like I spent the whole probably quarter, first quarter of the book explaining it because it's really important that we get it. There's a lot of confusion about what the ego is. Um, and so but here's, a, here's a, an easy visual. If you put a baseball in the center of a stadium, yep. that's what the ego is. Yeah, chapter five. Are. Yeah, is right. actually the stadium, and, and we've 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 confused. We've we've thought we've given the power over who we are to this tiny, tiny, tiny part of who we are. 
who thinks that it's all of who we are. And so we've given it the power to make choices, important choices about our lives, about our relationships from its very small, limited, and always fear-based perspective. Sure. So, so the ego is like, you know, the, that's in Latin, ego means eyes. It's a sense of self, a sense of individual personality. And so, you know, the, 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 teachings, the understandings about it is that we all have an ego. We all have that, you know, that sense of like, this is Christian, that's Chris. Sure. Um, ultimately, it's an illusion. It's both a, a helpful illusion and the source of all our problems and all our suffering. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the, 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 the thought is that it develops, that sense of self develops in humans around, around age two. Um, and and it's, a, it's a leap in consciousness because as far as we know, we're the only species that has a sense of self. There's some theories about the dolphins and the whales and the elephants and the higher primates. Yeah. Um, but we don't really know what's going on inside of their heads. You know? but, but there's a difference. Like if we've seen the videos on YouTube, you put a dog or a cat in front of a mirror, they interact with that image as if it was another dog or cat. They'll do experiments where they'll put ash on the, on, on the shoulder of a, a gorilla or a chimp or an elephant. At some point, they go like this. So they realize that that's them in the image, but what, you know, what to do with that, we don't know. How they think of themselves, we don't know. Um, so we know we have a sense of self, which is, again, that huge part of why we're so successful as a species. And it's also the source of all our suffering, because once we developed that sense of self, now we can be lonely, we can feel separate, we can feel, we can feel alone, we can have rejection issues, abandonment issues, uh, we have to deal with our own mortality, and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a mixed blessing. Yeah, there's, I've always believed there's a lot of power in, if you want to, we can use the word power, you know, in doing things alone or by yourself, you know, and, you know, for the longest time, you know, growing up, you know, I was always, you know, I, I didn't, I would never go see a movie by myself, you know, because I always thought that, based on what other people were telling me that, you know, oh, you know, what, you don't have no friends, you're a loser, you've got to go by yourself, right. you can't get anyone to go with you. And and as I got older, I learned that, you know, and I think you can probably use this for anything, but I learned that going to the movies by yourself is not really a big deal. And that, <laughs> and I actually, when I first, first time I went, you know, I mean, you know, I was kind of nervous and felt weird and like anything else, you know, felt like people were staring at me. I got real self-conscious about it. <laughs> and yeah, and it was, I mean, it was weird. Then, then finally, after I was like, oh, you know, after I left and went home, I was like, there's no big deal. I just went and watched a movie by myself. I do it at my house all the time, you know. Yeah. And so with that, I was like, I don't want to say it gave me a power, but it gave me more of a self-awareness that, you know, you can do things on your own. You don't always have, not to say that I don't always have, you know, people around me, but, you know, if I want to go do something on my own, don't be afraid just because you don't have a friend to go with or, you know, there, there's something to that, you know, that felt like, hey, I can do this. You know, it's on my own right. You know, I'm knowing who I am, you know, and I know when I can do things by myself and when I need people around me. And it was just, you know, little steps like that and like kind of reading your book and like, you know, reading through the power practice and stuff and writing down little thoughts. It was kind of, like, oh, yeah, you know, and I, I ain't thought about that in years, you know, and, and I was like, man, you know, there is something to this, you know, just taking these little steps of leap of faith, if you will, and trying something. Is, and that's part of, I guess, part of, if you want to say part of life or just knowing yourself, just, you know make the best of a situation, see how you react, learn from your mistakes and kind of go from there. And I think you're absolutely right, Chris. And, and I think what, what's good, what's underneath you get, you know, us getting to that place where we can do things by, by ourselves is that it's, it's a deeper sense of self-acceptance, mm -hmm. right? So the, and the stronger that we accept ourselves, um, 
then the less that we care about what anybody else thinks. So who cares what people think about why we went to the movies alone or went to dinner by ourselves? Who cares? Huh. Like, the, and the thing is, like, they're going to judge anyway, whether they're, they're going to judge what we're wearing or, or, what, or what we're eating. Or it's like, I mean, that's part of what the ego does. It judges. Huh. So we might as well just get over it and let them do their, whatever they're going to do. And the, again, the stronger that we feel about ourselves, the less that we need anybody's acceptance or validation. And, and, and that's connected to personal empowerment. You know, do you think that's an issue or a problem with social media today that, you know, younger generations, you know, even myself, you know, I'm, you know, I'm an addict of it, I guess, as much as anyone else. But, you know, we're looking too much as far as those dopamine hits us to get so many likes. And that's what we're referring ourselves to social media. And then, you know, that's impairing our you know, people's growth, I guess. And you think that's an issue with ego and power and just, you know, rewiring how the brain is working just to look for, you know, you post a picture. Oh man, I only got 10 likes today. You know, I, I suck, I, you know, and you get depressed and everything, but then, you know, the next day you post something else, it doubles, you get 20 likes. You're like, Oh, I'm back at it. I'm on fire now. You know, <laughs> I mean, but you, I guess that's my question though. Do you think there is an issue with social media and just People rely on too much of on ads for acceptance. For sure, and on very superficial measurements. And, and I don't worry about somebody like you, or or you know who's who's worried about how many likes. But when you've got teenagers and preteens who don't have that sense of self developed yet, right. um, and who are even more dependent on what external validation, those are the ones that I that I think are in a little bit of, of danger. And like we hear about the you know like the cases where the like teenagers taking their own life and yeah um for like stupidest reasons um like what comment somebody made on on social media yeah, so it, it is a reason for concern yeah you know i feel i forget who i was talking to this was about or about with but you know i feel like i was kind of like a a mixed hybrid of social media and the internet and stuff when i was growing up just because you know i was a 90s kid and you know i remember getting you know, the regular old school AOL and semester dial up internet and funky sounds. And then, you know, no one cared about <laughs> just happy. I remember just, I don't even remember what I was looking at, probably movies or something. I don't know, video games, but, you know, and then, you know, I never really got the full, I guess the full force of a screen in front of me my whole life. So I tell people that I feel like I got a good balance of it, that, you know, it's, it's cool, but I don't rely on myself of it a lot. But then randomly I do find myself mindlessly scrolling through stuff, but also feel that, you know, it, I never developed like that, uh, like we were just talking about like a need to have so many likes or whatever. Yeah, it's cool. And I'm not, and I'm not knocking if people, if that's what you like, but yeah, I guess my whole point is that, you know, this, this technology, you know, going too far almost that, you know, and obviously like Steve Jobs, they designed that stuff just to grab people's attention at all times. And that, yeah, yeah you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of a little rant. I don't really know where I'm going with that, but just it's, it's out of balance. Yeah, there we go. Balance. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm really grateful. I grew up my first 10 years of life in Cuba in a communist country and we had a TV, but there was nothing worth watching. So instead, we grew up reading and I'm really grateful for that because I mean, it's, it's, I, it's one of the reasons I was a good student when I came over to the States without even knowing English. Nice. Um, and it also, we had to invent, we had to create our games and invent our pastimes. And, you know, we lived outdoors and, and I'm really grateful for that. Cause when I look at these kids, my nieces and nephews, even with their nose in the, in the screen or, the, or, or lost in the video game is like, yikes to me, something's lost there. You know, early in the book, 
I think you talked about speaking of balance that you thought the world was off balance based on, I thought I want to say gender, mm-hmm. that part of your argument. Yeah. And that, you know, and I think you actually related it to the avatar movie and yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. and uh, it kind of struck with me. I mean, not so much that it was off balance, but I want to know your thoughts that, you know, what was your reasoning behind that? You know, why did you think that based on, you know, gender, like you thought there was a balance with power and stuff. You know, I kind of know a little bit about the background from what I read, but, you know, so everyone else knows, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's just from looking at the world. Um, it's not balanced, you know, in, like, even, even between the power between, between the masculine and the feminine um, or men and women at, at all. Um, and, and so the book is for everybody because, like I said, everybody struggles with issues around power. Um, and, and it's really important to understand why we do the things we do and why we give our power away in certain situations. Like, is it, is it in relationship to um, authority figures, parental figures, bosses, um, coaches, that kind of thing, or, or intimate, romantic, sexual relationships? Like, we all do that. But it has a particular message for women. And that comes from my conviction that the empowerment of women is the single most important thing that needs to happen in the world. And that's not to idealize women. It's not to put them up on a pedestal. Women also abuse power, um, but disproportionately. Um, and I believe that when, when women are in 50% of power in this world, we're going to have a very different relationship to war and poverty and hunger and how we treat the environment and education and social justice to all, to all the issues that we're facing. Um, so for me, that's, it's a strategic thing. It's like, what is one thing that we could focus on that will then impact everything else or most everything else? And that's what I land on. Um, and, you know, I also added a chapter about what it means to be a man in the 21st century, because there's more patriarchal uh, system, you know, which is more about power over um, my way or the highway, you're going to do it my way, you, you know, get your butt out of the, out of my, my company kind of thing, yeah. um, which is about fear and force and domination and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't work for women, obviously, who have been oppressed and who haven't had, who basically just got the power less, the power to vote less than a hundred years ago in this country. Um, and, and still, when we look at our political leaders, it's not even close to half and half, not even probably 20% of our elected representatives um, who are women, uh, but men have also paid a price for that. And, and it goes back to what we're ta- starting to talk about, about the emotions and, and, and the misunderstanding that the emotions are weakness. Yeah. Because what happened to us guys, and since we were little kids, we were told, oh, little boys don't cry. It's like, wait a minute, uh, what's up with that? You know, it's like, is that because only little girls cry? Is that weakness? And we've had this misunderstanding that the feminine is weakness. When if we think about it, it's like, wait a minute, you want to talk power and courage and strength and resilience? Let's talk about the power of creation and, and that, that lies in a female, that, that, that resides in a female body. Um, and I think of the story about um, Betty White, who just passed a few months ago. Sure. Uh, but apparently she was in one of these <clears throat> group interviews and some other celebrity said something about having balls. And she goes, wait a minute. I don't know where we got this thing about um, courage and strength and balls. Cause you thought those little things and the guy bends over collapses in pain. You want to talk power and strength. Let's talk vaginas. Those <laughs> things take a pounding. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot. I never heard that. 
She is so funny. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's because of that misunderstanding about the emotions being weakness, it's like, wait a minute, the emotions aren't strength. They're not weakness. They're not good. They're not bad. They're just energy. What used to be spiritual teaching that everything is energy in the universe. Now we know from quantum physics, everything is energy. That means this chair that I'm sitting on, this table on which the computer lies, the body, the emotions, even though it might feel solid, is just vibration. It's energy. Energy cannot be destroyed, physics tells us too. So all those times that we have stuffed our emotions, that we didn't dare, didn't feel comfortable you know, saying what we were feeling, that stuff doesn't go away. And, and it starts accumulating in the tissues of our bodies. And after years and years and a lifetime of doing that, we walk around with layers and layers of layers of repressed emotional crap. And then here we are trying to have a relationship and all of it gets filtered through that lifetime of repressed emotions. Like, yikes. And, and I don't even know how relationships can work out because we haven't been taught about how to have relationships, healthy, conscious relationships. And we haven't been taught how to clear this crap that we walk around with. Um, and so what happens, and, and this is the reason why men are paying a price, because if you look at numbers like longevity, women outlive men in the U.S. by five years, globally by seven years. The rate of suicide in the U.S., men commit suicide four times as frequently as women. I've heard that. And 70% of the suicide in the and suicides in the US committed by middle-aged white men who still have the majority of the power in the world. And so, you know, what why is that? We would think the group that has the majority of the power, most of the power, should have more benefit, more privilege, should live longer, have a better life. But so what's going on there? And I think part of it is that because we've got this conditioning that you gotta walk around like this unfeeling, uncaring robots. Yeah. Um, because if not, you're 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 girly, and God forbid, uh, because that would be the worst thing ever. And but there's a price to pay for that, right? So those those what happens is we suppress all that crap, and either two things happen: either we suppress, 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 and then the next unfortunate one just says something, rubs us the wrong way, and forget it. Volcano, volcanic eruption, and we cause harm to our relationships. Or suppress, suppress, suppress that stuff is going to come out one way or the other and start seeping up and out and showing up as physical symptoms, heart attacks, cancers, um, stomach ulcers. We've got to get this. We've got to get this relationship to our emotions. Um, And and because as far as I'm concerned, to me, emotional mastery is is like, it's the opposite of weakness. Like to know what we're feeling. If you would have asked me 30 30 years ago what I was feeling, I couldn't tell you. I had no idea. I agree. And, and so I did conscious work. Like I educated myself. I got my EQ, my emotional intelligence up consciously. So to learn what we're feeling and then to have the courage and the gracefulness, the compassion to communicate those feelings responsibly, not throwing a tantrum like a two-year-old and pointing the finger and blaming others, like owning responsibility for our emotions. To me, that's the opposite of weakness. That's mastery level stuff. You know, i while you were talking, I had a couple of thoughts and I hope I don't forget them while I saw the first one because I was trying to write them down, but I wanted to listen to you. But my first one was that, you know, when you were talking, yeah, I was growing up was kind of the same way that, you know, try to be very masculine, you know, don't really show emotions. And, you know, always, you know, like you said, when you just did like the, you know, chest up and puff out and everything. But, you know, it was kind of like, you know, I never really knew that, you know, how to show feelings or so emotional, you know, or even knew what emotional intelligence was. I really didn't learn that until a few, a few years before this, but 
You know, I never really felt like when I was asked to express my my thoughts and feelings, I, I didn't know how, you know, just to always say I'm good. And then even when I was not, yeah, you know, I'm cool. I'm not fine. Don't worry about it. But and then it was like you take it up, you ball up whatever you are kind of feeling. You just shove it right down. And That's it. That's it, man. That's it. And then it would come out at random times, you know. You know, I remember having to learn to control. I had a temper when I was little, and it was just something that would set me off the, the little bit. And you know, I don't you know. I just I don't know if I was yell or my mom could tell you, but you know, I'd start yelling and just throw. I guess your definition of a temper tantrum. But it was when I got yeah, when was I got older and started learning and you know, learning like how am I feeling? I can't express these this ways. You know, I don't, just because I'm taught not to doesn't mean I have to abide by that. You know, and. You know, I always wish, you know, somebody gave you a, a life playbook on how to be and how to live life and be successful and all that. But no one gives you that. You just got to figure out these things on your own. And that's one of the things I figured out was that. And, and I still have. And that's part of the reason why I started this, because I never felt that I could express myself the way I wanted to towards people just because I felt like I never had that interaction growing up, you know. And that's that's kind of, yeah. And I feel like if I actually were able to have these more stimulating intellectual conversations with people like yourself, it would help me to plan out my thoughts and how do I really feel about things and, you know, not really just say something just because, you know, like talking in memes, you know, <laughs> that's what I saw. Yeah. You know, and then that was funny and cute. And I got through that conversation and we're all good. So <laughs> I guess, you know, it, it seems like I was always taught what to think and not how to think or, or, or what to feel and not how to feel. Does that kind of make sense? Exactly. No, you you're just like, you just nailed it. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. That's exactly the process that happens in us. Uh, particularly as guys, not just guys, but especially guys. And there's a price to pay for that. And then here's the other side of looking at that. I was just interviewing for a a virtual summit that I'm producing this expert on on leadership, globally renowned, you know, written five books, all this success. Like he's a co-host on a a business show on on the Bloomberg TV. And he was telling me that because we're talking about leadership and what, what it means to be a leader. And he was, he gave me this number that kind of blew my mind because I, I knew that over the last 30 years in, in leadership studies in business schools, uh, the Harvard business, Harvard business um, journal, they talk about a lot about emotional intelligence as being important in a leader. But the number he gave me was like, what they think now is like 87 to 90% of what makes a successful leader has to do with emotional intelligence. It's like, wow a really high percentage sure. do you know who jordan peterson is uh-uh. uh clinical psychologist you know he's pretty famous for a bunch of lectures lectures about you know uh personality traits um you know being successful stuff like that he i think he taught at harvard at one point but anyway you know he was actually i guess i'm kind of playing devil's advocate here but he was actually talking about emotional intelligence and he doesn't believe in it he says it's a made-up word by a journalist and that <laughs> I forget his his whole argument behind it, but he was basically just saying that, you know, I guess you can actually, I'm, I'm going to butcher this completely, you just learn that by, you know, I guess just being with people and talking with people instead of actually putting a word on it, you know, and I guess that's kind of the same, is putting a word called some emotional intelligence, but I guess I, I'm pretty, I'm butchering this really bad, but anyway, he just believe he doesn't believe in it. This is my, the whole point of it, you know, and just, have you ever ran across other people like that who just say, no, not really. And to, to me, it makes sense, you know, because to be able to lead like the old school leadership, and, and this is, you know, this is not just me saying this, this is what they're teaching business schools yeah. these days, the old top down, my way or the highway uh, way of leading is, is not very effective uh, because it depends on fear or greed. Sure. Um, and, and it's not 
self-sustaining because you got to either you got to keep putting adding fear or giving or offering them more stuff in order for people to get incentivized um whereas the the other kind of leadership that that it's more about power with you know to put it back in my, in my uh, frame of of languaging power with rather than power over um it it it's based on communications based on inspiration based based on in, in getting people to do what what's best uh, for everybody um, by insp- inspiration and example, rather than just forcing them to do it or or bribing them into doing it, um, and to me that makes sense. Makes sense then yeah. um, that you know that emotional intelligence is a really good skill to have. Yeah, he, he was he was kind of saying that you know what? So if the smarter you are, the more your emotional intelligence is higher, obviously, which. You know, like and like I said, I'm I'm pretty new to this subject, and just now, and just like I said, I learned about it not too long ago, so I'm still trying to figure it out. So I was just playing devil's advocate. Okay, but that's that's one of the differences, though. IQ, like like intelligence, is pretty fixed. You know, there's not much that we can do about that. You can educate and, and expand your knowledge, but the the intelligence level pretty much remains the same. Um, and yeah, there's some very variations according to you know that all tests are not equal, so they're cultural. Um, differences that are and, and nuances that are not picked up by by the, by the different IQ test. But the point is that EQ, emotional intelligence, can definitely be be improved. Like for example, like I said, if you would have asked me thirty years ago, thirty years ago, clueless, mm-hmm. clueless as to what I was feeling. And and this is before you're talking before about AOL and stuff like that. I think before we got on the on the show, um, but. Um, this is before iPhones. So I used to, I used to carry around a timer from Radio Shack in my, in my, in my pocket. And I had this grid of emotions that I forgot where I got it, but it gave me like a list of emotions and kind of an explanation of each of them. And so I, the timer would go off in an hour and then I go by the grid. Right? Am I feeling that? Uh-uh. Am I feeling that? Uh-uh. Am I feeling that? Hmm, maybe. And after like three weeks, then I, I was really like increasing my, my EQ. So it's it's improvable, and we can all get better at it. And you know, by the way, that's really critical for any kind of relationship. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM. You'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. If you want to have a chance of your relationships working, like good EQ is it's it's a good thing, right? It's to understand why other people do how they're feeling, why they're saying what they're feeling, it's really um, critical, um, and to help them even figure out what they're feeling, so that we don't get stuck locking horns, you know, ego bumping up heads against ego, which is what ends up happening in most relationships. That kind of resonates with me because 
I did an interview a couple of weeks ago with a, a sports journalist or broadcaster, and she actually, you know, made a statement or a fact that sixty percent of what you're saying is actually not coming out of your mouth; it's all nonverbal. And so, mm. and I, and that's what kind of resonated with me is like as far as emotional intelligence was. Oh, so you're actually you know picking up you know body language, picking up those signs, and you're actually you know just learning what you know just by moving and how they're acting and the energy and whatever the vibe you're, they're giving off you like, okay i'm picking it up now and it made and that made sense with me that it's like oh, I, that, yeah that makes i put i put a connection there <laughs> which is why we get in trouble texting right when we argue through texts <laughs> and you, that, when does it ever end well Exactly. Never, right? Because you were missing all those cues, all those, all those nonverbal, nonverbal cues, like the, like the intonation of the voice, you know, the slight, you know, things that the face does. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that's one thing that, you know, I've speaking of that, you know, I've had a texting conversation almost go completely do a one eighty, and I've actually just all right, in this just call it like, no, that's not what I meant, you know. <laughs> This is, I mean, in a great positive way, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's, and I don't know. I mean, that's, again, that's, I don't know if people are losing that connection just because most people are afraid to talk to, you know, other people. Like I said earlier, I was kind of, you know, always nervous growing up having conversations like this just because I didn't know how they were going to go or I thought I would say something stupid. And, you know, I was really self-conscious about it, you know, and just that, you know, and it was always better for me to get on, you know, instant messenger. And, you know, I guess I was a keyboard warrior and I could type, you know, whatever I was thinking right that way. And even though half the time it would probably come out wrong, you know, but right. yeah, yeah the, I don't know if it's like, if conversations is becoming a, you know, a miss, a missing art. I don't want to know if it's missing art, but a missing connection, a missing element that is necessary for most, you know, human beings. I mean, I felt like when the pandemic came, came around, I guess if we are still in the pandemic, I don't know, but you know, life came to a complete halt and people had to reevaluate how they were doing their things. You know, it's like, you know, some people are like, no, I want to be a loner. No, I don't really need people around me. But then, you know, being a single guy, you know, being in quarantine, not being able to have like an actual physical connection, you know, actually seeing somebody in, in person, you know, it starts to, you know, have its, you know, effects on you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my heart goes out too. I was I was single during the pandemic too, so I it's tough. Totally, totally get it. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it. it's tough that you know you're going through life. You know, and I say this all the time on here. You're going through life day by day, and you know you're not really asking questions and not sitting. You know, we're, we're running off momentum, I think. And you're not. You're just going through the motions, going through your routine. You know, go to bed, wake up, do it all over again. Then all of a sudden, five years goes by. You know, 10 years goes by. This happened to me, you know, you know, where I work at full time. I recently just hit my 10 year mark. And I was like, shit, you know, I, I told myself I was going to be here five years, you know, and I was going to move on to a different job. But then, you know, you plant roots and life goes on. And again, you start getting comfortable. Yeah. You, yeah. You get comfortable. And you, I, I reflected on it during the pandemic. I was like, what have I been doing? You know, is this where I wanted to be? And that's a part of, you know, what you were saying is that, you know, I'm not the same person I am five years ago. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. And that I wanted to start, you know, doing something about it, you know, and like, am I living for Chris right now? Am I doing what I want to do? Am I reaching my goals? You know? That's it. And and what we know, I mean, and, and the older we get, the more, like, I don't think it's possible for a 20, 30 year old to, to even though we hear it and people tell us it's impossible to get how fast life goes yeah. until you start getting, you know, up at, up at a certain age. And then it's like, boom, it just goes like in a flash. Um, and, you know, for me, the, the pandemic was actually good. Like I was able, I turned that up, that situation into an opportunity. 
Like I went from 100,000 miles on an airplane, flying here and there, doing workshops on retreats and speaking engagements. And I was able to finish this book that had been inside my head for 10, 10 years. And I was able to create a, a virtual coaching program that, that I've known for years I needed to do because not everybody's ever going to come to one of my retreats. And so if I wanted to have a broader impact and reach people in other parts of the world, I knew I had to do that. Well, COVID forced my hand because my income went to a screeching halt, um, basically overnight. Um, and what I love that you were saying about too, about social media and texting and stuff is that, is that the, the hunger for connection. Um, and it, I think it was like three years ago, not too long ago, um, where they, they published a study about addictions in which they were saying that at the core of all addictions is that longing for connection. So you're saying powerful stuff here. Yeah. You know, Adam Alter, he wrote a, I think, a book called Addiction. That's what it's called. It's been a few years since I read it, but you know that's kind of what people were doing. He talks about in one part of it. Have you read it? Sorry, I didn't even ask. So. No, 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 no. So this is basically what he was saying was that um, there was a guy you know who was playing football. Big, I don't know if it was a big school, but he was on fo playing football on scholarship at a school. You know, he got addicted to World of Warcraft, that an online video game, and that he was actually you know talking with people on there, and he was just using his getting that connection. From there that he was not getting you know out there which you would think on being on a, a huge football team that you'd still be getting it but no he got more of the connection there and that's what made him so addicted you know i think at one point you know he obviously lost his scholarship he gained a lot of weight and he even started wearing a diaper i think so he could play so he wouldn't have to get up wow. yeah it, it got so bad with his addiction that but that was part of it i think he actually started to meet you know a girl or something on there and have a former relationship and that's why he just made his entire life that so yeah i mean i agree with you what i'm saying is that people are longing for some connection of some sort i mean you know we're humans i think that's what you know if it's it, it might be in our dna i don't know that we've some you know some people want that connection i mean there's probably some outliers out there of course but you know who are living in alaska in the forest and but i don't know but yeah well, that story of the diaper reminds me of another similar story where I don't know if you remember reading about it a couple of years ago, maybe maybe like five or six years ago. And this was like a brilliant, like NASA, like astronaut kind of, you know, brain brainiac. And she, I don't know, I think there was some kind of something going on. She was in Texas. She drove to Florida because to see her. It was like a love triangle kind of thing. So she, there was something and the man was going to be with somebody else. And so in order to prevent that, she drove with diapers so that she wouldn't have to stop to go to the bathroom. It's like, man, the things that we humans do for, for, like, for that sake of connection, for the sake of pseudo love, because I don't even think that's real love. That's more like obsession. Um, but, but I think underneath it is that, that desperate need for connecting. Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask you this because I, I was talking about it with somebody at my gym the other day and I was getting her thoughts on it. And, you know, I like to bounce ideas off of her because she has like a philosophical, theoretical mind, I would say. But anyway, so I, I read this quote or heard it somewhere, but it says, I guess it's kind of related to what we're talking about. But um, <laughs> it says, the smarter you are, the more you know what you don't know. Yeah. I believe that has some fidelity. Yeah, no, I think so. I think, I think it kind of so. coincides with being self-aware and maybe having some humbling experiences through your life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, self-awareness for me is like now you now you now you're talking, um, because you can be very very intelligent and be completely clueless about yourself. Sure. My dad was a brilliant psychiatrist, and I know because people would tell me after the fact. I used to go to him, but in terms of his own emotions, he was clueless, clueless. 
Um, so no wonder that I was clueless to growing, growing up in terms of my own emotions. Um, and, you know, I, so I, but, but there's so self-awareness, like we can't do anything about what we can't see, but we're not aware of. And so much of what's driving our behavior and the things we do um, and the, the things that trigger us and the patterns that we get stuck in, in relationships, you know, sometimes it feels like we're in the same boring movies, just with a different co-lead, a different actor, but it's the same boring kind of crap, the same kind of arguments, the same kind of discussions. At some point, we got to get real and realize that there's one common denominator in every one of those relationships and every one of those arguments. And it's right here. Um, and so, Self-awareness to me is the first, the first step. And it opens the door to self-acceptance. Um, because self-acceptance, like real self-acceptance is impossible if we don't know who we are and why we do the things we do. Yeah. Um, and then self-acceptance makes possible self-love, which is ultimately what we want. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of what we've been talking about a little bit. This is, you know, people, you know, like I was saying earlier, live it off momentum and they forget about you know, being self-aware of what's going on. Hey, do I actually, am I happy? Do I love myself? Do I like what I'm doing with my life? And um, yeah, and I hope, you know, just some people who are listening to this and actually taking the time to, you know, I heard somebody talk about how each day they go back. It's kind of like meditation, I guess. They would just go into a room and sit for 15 minutes and just, you know, let the brain reset to neutral and just figure out how are they feeling. And, you know, learning just to, you know, whatever stress they're feeling that day, just to reset, rethink, you know, and just, Go, then go back and take on the day after they've actually just had 15 minutes of just, you know, resetting themselves. You know, Chris, even five minutes, three or four times a week would do it. It would, it would make a difference, even three or four or five minutes. Um, and, 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 and just like meditation for most of us, you know, it, it's boring. Like you're sitting there for, you know, 30 minutes or whatever it is, 15, 30 minutes. Some people do it much longer observing your thoughts, you know, observing your sensations, watching your breath, sometimes repeating a mantra to give the mind something to focus on. 99% yeah. of the time it's going to be boring, right? Oh, there it is. You know, I'm supposed to be counting my breath and there it is, you know, I'm doing my shopping list back to my breath. Oh, there it is. I just reliving the argument I had with my, my coworker yesterday yeah. back to the breath. Oh, there it is. Now I'm futurizing. Now I'm fantasizing, hallucinating about what I'm going to tell him when I see him in the office tomorrow. Back to so so that ego that we were talking about it's it's always either stuck in the past, ruminating, rehashing a past that is gone and does not exist, or it's fantasizing about and hallucinating about a future that may or may not come to be. Has a really hard time being the only thing we know is real that is not either a memory or a hallucination, a, a, a projection of our minds, which is the present moment. So even if we can do that for a minute, um, it's it's life changing. You know, you know, in chapter 11, this is kind of related that you actually even talked about breath work into it and just about how, you know, you know, I've been, you know, I've read a couple of books on uh, about it and just it's going to sound like a cliche, but just how important that is, you know, for all of life, you know, and just, you know, not breathing out of your mouth and you're talking about, you know, the differences of, you know, breathe, just being a mouth breather and not like the idiot version, but, you know, like the, <laughs> but actually being a mouth breather compared to breathing through your nose and stuff. And I know you've done, talked about how the, different breathwork practices can just, you know, de-stress somebody and just, you know, relax somebody. Just like, as you were saying, it's overlooked, you know, and, and I've talked with a few people in here that's just, why is this, you know, 
not getting more attention than what it should be. Just, you know, with simple little breath techniques. It's simple. That you do. Yeah. They free change. and accessible. It changes so much. I mean, even not only just for your head and stuff, but even for, you know, in my case, like the reason I started looking more into it was because of a more of a performance basis on how much, you know, when you're doing your exercises and your workouts and what it could do for you, you know, just breathing through your nose and stuff. Yeah. And it was wild to me. It's just kind of, you know, mind blowing, you know, it really is mind blowing that it's just breathing. And, and, and I mean, it's another huge conversation because there's, like you said, there's a lot of different breath techniques. Breathwork is a huge umbrella. So there's different practices that you can do just 30 seconds. You do a minute, two minutes that sometimes are really great for stress reduction, for helping to sleep better. Some other practices are like more energizing. So rather than reaching for the cup of coffee in the, in the afternoon, like there's the certain types of breath that really bring up your energy and, and focus you right before an important meeting or a difficult conversation. Um, and, and there's so many videos on YouTube that you can just like access for free about different types of breathing practices. The one that I reference is a little bit longer. You do that for about an hour, an hour and a half. Um, and that one you actually do in and out the mouth, but I wouldn't recommend mouth breathing as you go to day-to-day -day life. But in this particular case, it's mouth breath because it's so much more powerful because you can take in so much more air and oxygen and, and life force, you know, which is called um, prana or chi or ki in, in different spiritual traditions and the martial arts, the energy, you know, the life force of, of, of creation that animates all of life. Um, and if we think about it, the breath is like our most loyal, faithful, constant companion on this journey of life. Um, and in so many spiritual traditions, and even some secular languages, one word, the same word, can mean breath or spirit. Um, so, for example, from in Greek, pneuma, from that word pneuma, we, from which we get pneumonia, it meant both lung and soul. And from the Latin spirare, we get both that root, we get both respiration and inspiration or expiration. So there's, there's definitely something about the breath and the power of the breath. And in fact, that's what my TED, TEDx talk is about the power of the breath. Yeah, I watched a little bit of that. And uh, yeah, because, uh, you know, it's so like I said, mind blowing. I was like, why, am I, why have I not been doing this all my life? You know, thinking more about it, you know, and just sitting down and just, you know, I catch myself now even when I'm sitting here watching TV or, or you know, doing my workouts. Like, all right, breathe properly, dude. Know how to breathe, you know, just take a minute. And it's just, that's the only word I know I, I can say right now is mind blowing. And it's just, it's wild to me that, you know, we're not putting, not me personally, but, you know, no one's putting out more information or maybe they are. And I just haven't been you know, aware of it until these last few years or months. But yeah. Well, and here's another layer of incentive, especially for guys, you know, for women, it's, it's easier. But for guys to want to prolong the orgasm, use the breath. I think I heard that in your TEDx. So elaborate on that a little bit. I think you talked about that in your TEDx. Well, it's like if you, if you're doing if you're making love consciously, like not, not just like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Oh, thank you, ma'am. Um, <laughs> <you know? laughs> the breath is it's what anchors us in the body. And when we slow down the breath, the, the, the body literally slows down. So, so, you know, there's swamis in India that have that much control over their body that they can tell the heart to slow down and the heart slows down. Some of them can reach this little, you know, these really deep, levels that are almost indistinguishable from death. Like most of us are not going to get to that level of, of control over the body, but anybody can slow down the breath. All that takes is a choice and a little bit of discipline. 
tiny bit of discipline to keep going at it. When we slow down the breath, the heart has no choice. The heart has to slow down. When the heart slows down, the nervous system begins to quiet down. The body begins to relax. And so if you're in that point in making love where you're like, you know, getting high up there and it's good, you get headed towards that explosion or waterfall, whatever you want to call it, slow down your breath. That slows down the body. And, and then you can do like multiple peaks before you the final explosion. Let's make sure I remember that for sure. <laughs> but so, you know, when talking about that, you know, I guess I should ask this question first. It's based on breathing and, you know, kind of your, your experience that I know about you. But do you believe in reincarnation? I do. Okay. I do. And, and you know, from what, I, from what I read, it was in the Bible up until about the year 400. And then it was taken out. Okay. Well, the reason I asked that was just because, you know, based on, you know, everything that, you know, you know, and what you're, I've read in your book and stuff. Do you ever felt that, you know, you were talking about, you know, a little bit about Greece earlier and, you know, in India that... You're, you you were connected to another civilization at one point. Does that kind of make sense? Oh, man, it's really funny that you asked that. Because I, don't, I haven't had, like, I've tried a couple of regressions. I didn't remember anything. But I did have, so funny you, you mentioned that. Well, I was thinking about that today, and I was like, oh, I wonder. I did have this, I've always had this connection with ancient Greece. And... It's, it's a little bit of a longer story that I don't know we want to have time to get into it, but it was the type of thing that in some really weird synchronous, synchronous way, stuff that my little mind could have never come up with, um, that connection was then verified in, in real life. Like, I don't have any personal memories of having lived in ancient Greece or okay. ancient Rome. Not man- manifested? Is that what you're saying? In real life? Well... Well, you, we don't yeah. have to get to it, but yeah, I know I kind of know what you're saying though, and maybe, yeah. maybe on a later date we can take a dive down there. But because yeah, I yeah, thinking- yeah, yeah, it doesn't have a personal component. Okay, but but it was um, the type of thing. Like I'll, I'll tell you the last part of it, not getting into the real deep parts of it, but the last part of it that's out of the blue. A friend of mine who had gone to this museum in Madrid at Prado. Um, and he said, look, I went to this museum and I didn't bring anything back for any friends, except I knew this I had to bring for you. And that was the card of like, it was just a card of a statue, but it was the bust that I had been told I had been um, in ancient Greece. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> a little weird. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, and I had never had this conversation with anybody other than the person who, you know, had told me that. Yeah, you know. I I never thought about that before, and I was listening to a podcast today, and they were actually talking about it. And you know, you know, sometimes you know, sometimes I'm on the fence about manifestation and stuff like that. But it's because you know, I've never I've, I've had a couple experiences where it was like, wait, did that just happen because <laughs> I was thinking about it and it just happened, or you know, I actually had that thought, you know, because I've had experiences like that. You know, I thought of something, then like a year later, it happened, and I was like, wait. Was that you know what is that was that the energy you know you were talking about is that a force you know I don't, you know I don't know but stuff like that it's like well maybe I mean not that I was connected to a civilization but yeah just talking about manifestation that it was just, hmm. yeah yeah well, that part I, that part I have no doubt about there's something to it that part I have no no doubt about and I mean and we know the brain is like a computer whatever you put into it is what it believes it what it comes out um, and I mean if, if I mean, again, we don't have the time because some of them are longer stories, but 
what happens when we step out of the reality of the little baseball and we step into the realm of the stadium, shit begins to happen that we don't have words for to understand. It's almost like there's like it's different laws of physics. And, you know, we, we describe it like synchronicities, magic, miracles, things that our little minds could never, ever, ever come up with. Um, and, and so, I mean, I have so many stories about that, that I just, it's happened so many times that I don't, I don't, I don't have any doubts about that part of it. Yeah. You know, there's just so much about, you know, talking about the brain and this life and stuff that, you know, we just, like you just said, our brains just don't seem to can't comprehend. And there's just so much we don't know. And we're, you know, still trying to, when I, when I say we, I'm not, I'm not figuring it out, but you know, I'm trying to learn about it. But yeah, I mean, it's just wild to me that when stuff like that comes up and it's like, wow, man, what is, what is going on around here that I had no, no clue about that? You know, like, you know, we're talking about, you know, the smarter you are, the more you know that you don't know. And it's like, well, this is part of it, you know, and I'm, I'm saying I'm a smart person, but it was just that. It's like, man, I don't even know anything about that. But just some, these little life experiences happen, and you're like, wow. Yeah. That's why. Well, you know, and, and connected to that, I mean, not even Einstein could figure it out. Right. Um, you know, it was, you know the, the study that they did about, I think he called it spooky action at a distance, you know, where they split the, the, the I forget it was the, the, the atom, or they split the, the neuron or something, um, or the DNA, and they did something to it here. And then the other part of it, a thousand miles away, reacted yeah. In exactly the same way at exactly the same point, which because of the physical distance, there should have been a time lapse. So he couldn't know it. Like science hasn't been able to figure that out yet. Um, or I don't know if you saw the movie um, I Am. I Am. The documentary by, kind of blanking on his name, but he directed and produced all the Jim Carrey movies. Like the Tom Shadyac. Oh, okay. I know yeah, you're about, but I don't think I've seen that. I wrote it. Yeah, well, it's, it's really worth watching. He's, he's basically... It's autobiographical. He's talking about his own experience. He had a bad bike accident, really bad concussion, almost didn't come back from it. And when he did, he did so with like a renewed interest in like, what's going on here? And and, and, and so he asked the question, what's wrong with the world and, and what can we do about it? And I'm not going to mess it up how, how he wraps it up, but in the process, it makes some amazing discoveries. So he goes to this place in Northern California called the, the Heart Math Institute. And where they're, met, they're studying the energy field of the heart. And this is like the actual organ, not the, not the chakra heart center. So this is actually measurable energetically. It turns out that the energy emitted by the heart is like, I forget the number, is like a thousand times stronger than, than, than that emitted by the brain. And here we think the brain is the boss of us. It's like, hmm, maybe not. And it turns out that the heart has prescience. So it knows stuff before it even happens. So, for example, they have them sitting in front of a laptop with random images, photographs, and they have them hooked up to an EKG, you know, measuring the, the, the heart response. I guess it's not an EKG. It's the, I guess it is the EKG. Yeah, yeah. Waves, yeah. yeah, yeah the, the, the heart. Yeah, so it's connected to his heart. And so then, there, you know, a beautiful image of a beautiful sunrise and then a, a mother with a baby and a beautiful rose and a, a brand new puppy. And, you know, a bloody dismembered corpse or, or snake, you know, with venom dripping out the fangs. The heart has a response before the eye see the image. Like, how does that work? Yeah. How does that work? Our, our science isn't there yet in terms of understanding it. 
And then they do another study, which is really another experiment where they have them sitting in front of a table. There's a bowl of yogurt with these little electrodes measuring response. There's no physical connection between him and the bowl of yogurt. And so they'll ask him questions, knowing perfectly well he got recently divorced. How's your marriage going? The yogurt has a response. Have you talked to your agent lately? Response. Have you talked to your attorney lately? All the way down. <laughs> so if we're connected to the bacteria in a bowl of yogurt, how can we not be connected to each other in ways that we just don't understand yet? Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I know we're getting close on time here, but I just wanted to say that, you know, speaking of that, all that, how everything is connected in some form of another, and that I forgot what book I was reading, but it's a neuroscience book and how they actually took our, they saw, I don't know, somebody figured out our DNA and they called her my, mitochondria Eve and traced it all back to that. And it was, I, I guess that was the first moment. But yeah, and I was like, I didn't know that. And I, I guess that was, I'm not trying to, you know, discredit anybody, but, but that's what they called her in the book, mitochondria Eve. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really interesting to me. But yeah, again, I know we're getting close on time and I want to respect your time, but you know, I just wanted to say that, you know, towards the, I forgot what part three of the book that, you know, you actually, Use a bunch of movies and related to how greed took over some of the main characters and stuff. And, you know, I said, I thought about that and it's just like, you know, forget about, you know, when I'm watching these movies about themes that are going on and stuff like that and analyze them. Like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that did happen. And I think Wolf of Wall Street and I think you did uh, <laughs> Wall Street and stuff. And it was, yeah, and I was like, oh, man, that was, that, that was, I like that. You know, it actually makes me sit back and <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense now that if you, I like those connections that you can make out. Uh, you know, a theme like that, like resonate with me. So anyway. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, Chris. And, you know, I try to make it as interesting as possible and, and, and easy as possible because I know how busy we all are. Sure. And, you know, sometimes we get home and the last thing we want to do is read a book. We just want to like veg out in front of the, t- the tube and not think. Um, but it's worthwhile you know, reading this book. I really promise you it is. And that's why I designed it with short chapters with the power practices that you're talking about. So even if, if you're watching this and just read a chapter a week and take a few minutes to do the practices because that's what really helps you integrate the teachings and see how it's working in your life. And, and so, because we don't need more information, otherwise it stays at the level of information. We don't need more information, we've got information overload. What we need is transformation. And that comes from really living um, the teachings. And then like you're saying, I try to weave in you know movies and, uh, current day culture to try to make it interesting and, you know, woven in the hero's journey and sci-fi movies and superhero movies and um, try to make it as interesting as possible because it is, it's stuff that is not easy to look at. You know, it takes courage. That's why I say that it's, it's heroic journey to look inside and, and face ourselves and face our fears and our, our doubts and ask the hard questions about why we do the things we do and why do we get stuck in these patterns over and over and over again. Um, so it's really a worthwhile effort to do because the, the the reward is freedom. Like we get to be all of who we are, not worried, not depending on what anybody else thinks we should be or do or believe or anything. Um, and it's incredibly empowering. Christian, you're a cool dude, man. If uh, if people want to find the book and if you want to tell them how to get a hold of you and all that good stuff, where do they do that? And plug, plug anything you want to. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Well, the book is, is titled Awakening the Soul of Power. They can, it can get it anywhere, you know, look over it at your local bookstore or on Amazon. In terms of reaching me, probably the best way is my website, which is soulfulpower.com, S-O-U-L-F-U-L, power. 
www.jeffreyhoffman.com. And from there, they can access my social media. Um, and for your audience, um, anybody who goes to soulfulpower.com and gets on my email list, and we all know how easy it is to click unsubscribe if it doesn't work for you. And I'm not going to take it personally. Um, and so for anybody who does, they'll get a sample chapter from the book, the one that, the one that talks about what it means to live heroically in the 21st century. They'll send, we'll send them some of the power practices that we were talking about. And then we'll send them a, a guided meditation that I created in the middle of the pandemic to help us navigate these times of chaos and fear and uncertainty. Like, how do we maintain center? How do we be the eye of the storm where we allow this, of all the drama that's going on in the world right now and people's expectations and judgments and demands to just float around us and we don't have to get sucked into it? That's great. Great. Appreciate you again being here and sitting down and having a little a little chat with me and exploring some ideas and all that good stuff, man. So thank yeah, you. thank you, Chris. I, I enjoyed it. Obviously, you and I would not run out of stuff to talk about. Uh, we could just go from one thing to the next. Yeah, and, <laughs> and have a great time. And thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate the the connection and the conversation. Okay, everybody, we're out of here. Be good to yourselves. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.